Welcome to Life's Key 3. Today we are going to be talking about three characteristics that narcissistic, arrogant, immature, or controlling people have. And we are going to see there's an antidote to this. And where are we going to find this? Well, we're going to find this in the Gospel of John chapter 7. How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. If you happen to be joining for the very first time, and this is the first episode that you are listening to, we are walking through significant passages of the Bible this year, and currently we are in the Gospel of John. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is teaching at the temple, and this is during the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And people are divided over what they believe about him. Is he the Christ or is he not? And people in the crowds are keeping their opinions to themselves. I mean, they're discussing it with one another, but they're being very hush-hush about it. And the reason for that is they are afraid of their leaders. That's a big sign right there. If you are a, in a position of leadership, it's a good thing to ask yourself, are the people that I am leading, are they afraid to really express their opinions to me? How do I actually really know that? Because I can't assume that. I have to have measures in place to actually verify that. And if you are a person who has leaders, whether it's in your business, in your church, in your community, well, if you are afraid to really express your opinions, that is a big red flag. But these people are afraid of expressing their opinions in front of or to the leaders And make no mistake, fear is a powerful influencer of behavior. Yes, if you're shooting for effective, fear can be a very powerful motivator and a way to keep people in line. But fear is not a good motivator. Just because something is effective doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it good. But the leaders, the Pharisees and the chief priests, they're keeping an ear out anyway. And so they're basically eavesdropping and they hear the crowd muttering about Jesus and they are afraid because there are some who are choosing to believe in him or who are considering, is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? So what are these leaders so afraid of? I mean, they're the ones who are supposed to be Um, having all the knowledge and understanding to be looking for the Christ. They were the ones who, who should have been the first to recognize him. So why are they so afraid that God's promise would actually come true in their lifetime? Well, it's pretty simple. They don't want to lose their position or their power. And if the Messiah shows up, well, that's going to kind of trump their position And they are more concerned about maintaining their position and their power than they are about God's will coming onto this earth and being fulfilled. 
Leaders who use fear to control others are leaders who operate from fear to protect themselves and their own interest. So the Jewish leaders hear what's going on here, and they're like, okay, we're, we're going to put a stop to this. So they send officers to arrest Jesus. These are guards. They're soldiers. They're not Roman soldiers, but they are uh, Jewish people, Jewish men who operated in the capacity of serving as, if you will, um, like a civil guard. And so they had real power. I mean, they could, they could arrest people. And... So they, the Jewish leaders send um, people, officers, to arrest Jesus because they want to quiet him. They want to shut him down. They want people to stop listening to him. Well, later in this chapter, we read that the officers come back without Jesus, and when they're, when they're asked, excuse me, where is Jesus? Why did you not follow your orders and arrest him? Their response is, nobody's ever taught like this man before. Now, that response took a lot of nerve. I mean, think about who they are saying this to. They are reporting to the leaders of the Jewish nation. They are reporting to the people who are supposed to be the most prominent, godly, wise teachers that that the people can possibly hear and listen to. These are supposed to be the people who are closest to God and who speak on God's behalf. And yet these officers are more impressed with this, quote, uneducated man from the backwater hick town of Nazareth in the, I mean, totally not popular, totally not upscale part of Israel, which is the region of Galilee, right? So they are more impressed with this man than they are with the educated elite. Make no mistake, education is not the issue, okay? Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance that is rooted in laziness and disobedience to God's command to seek wisdom and use it and if you're wondering where that command is, well, it's really throughout all of Scripture. But basically, you can read the whole book of Proverbs, and, and that's pretty much sums it up. Education is not the issue. And ignorance is not something that we want to aspire to. That certainly does not align with what God has taught us. The problem is that when education was used to replace God's power, rather than using education to open doors for God's power. Last week, I made reference to this statement that has been going around in Christian circles for a very long time, and it's that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And while I understand the intent of that, and I, I'm not going to belabor that this week, but I just encourage you, go back and listen to the last episode, because I think that can be a very dangerous statement, especially when our youth hear that and absorb that. So the problem was that Jesus is, well, as far as the leaders are concerned, that Jesus is, is making these comments and he's making this teaching, which is going to threaten the leader's power. So they're not concerned that Jesus is going to be leading people away from God. 
certainly there could have been individuals who had that legitimate concern. But at the same time, overall, the leadership, that was not their, their primary concern as, as a group. And so what happens is, as Jesus is continuing his teaching, he makes some comments which are confusing to the crowd. He talks, for example, about going away where they won't be able to find him. And some of the people responded by saying, well, is he going to go to the Greeks to teach them? And that would be similar to us today to kind of say, well, is somebody going to go to Mars? I mean, it, it was just so beyond their ability to conceive that that he would do something that would be that ridiculous. It it was not at all like it is today where we travel all around the world and we don't really think anything about it. So on the last day of, of the feast, which is day eight, Jesus stands up and he, um, he cries out. And it says that he cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living water. Well, a couple of episodes ago, as I was talking about this festival, this Feast of Booze or Tabernacles, I explained that there were two customs. They were sacred customs that were practiced during this time. And one of those was when a priest would carry water from the pool of Siloam to the temple. And this tradition symbolized that when the Messiah came, the knowledge of God would cover the entire earth as the waters cover the sea. Well, how do the waters cover the sea? They're all encompassing. It's everywhere. You don't look out at the ocean and go, oh, there's some water, there's some land, there's some sky, there's some whatever. It's it's all water. And so the knowledge of God would cover the entire earth. It would be spread out everywhere. So when Jesus stands up and he makes this statement about coming to him and believing in him, and the result of that would be living waters that would flow out of a person's heart, the Jewish people would have recognized that he was equating belief in him and and this uh, living water was a statement about the Messiah. It was about the coming of God. This was an intentional metaphor that Jesus used. And so some heard this and that concluded he was a divinely appointed prophet. That didn't necessarily mean they thought he was the Messiah, but they definitely recognized him as a divinely appointed prophet along the lines of, say, um, Jeremiah or Isaiah or Elijah, other prophets from the Old Testament that people recognized. Other people concluded he was much more than a prophet. He was the Christ. He was the promised coming Messiah. Others, interestingly, dismissed both possibilities. Why? Because of where he came from. And we talked about this a little bit last week and how one wrong theological idea or belief can have a huge impact on someone's entire life and their belief about God. People said, hey, he comes from Galilee, and so the Messiah cannot come from Galilee. The issue is that people were really unwilling to take responsibility to examine their beliefs. It is an entirely different thing to have a belief 
and to have the maturity to have the willingness to have your belief examined. That is the mark. That is one of the marks of the difference between people of maturity and immaturity. Everybody has beliefs. Mature people are willing to have their beliefs inspected, examined, upheld, questioned, looked at. They don't just judge themselves by themselves. So what happened was people were like, oh, he comes from Galilee. There's no way that that he can be a prophet or the Messiah. You see, the people knew and understood that the scriptures had said that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem and be part of the lineage of David. Both of these were true for Jesus. Both Mary and Joseph were descendants of David. Jesus was absolutely born in Bethlehem. And that wasn't just something he could have claimed. That would have been registered as part of the official Roman census when he was born. I mean, the Romans did keep records about births and those types of things. The problem is that people cared more about holding onto their assumptions, their beliefs, rather than seeking for truth. They cared more about protecting and defending their beliefs than validating if their beliefs were right or not. One of the marks of a person of maturity is humility, and curiosity often accompanies humility. There is a difference between holding on to my beliefs and being curious enough to say, hey, I'm willing to look and see if these beliefs that I have are really true or not. And this is relevant not just in our relationship with God and and what we believe about him and about Jesus. It's also relevant in all of our beliefs and relationships, including the beliefs that we have about ourselves, the relationship we have with ourselves, and the relationships that we have with others. So here's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we more committed to securing our beliefs or to seeking truth? When the officers I referenced earlier from the temple come back without having arrested Jesus and they are called upon to give an explanation for why they didn't follow orders and and they'd say, hey, this person's never taught like anybody else before. We don't quite know what to make of this. The leaders don't get curious. They don't start asking questions. They don't start saying, okay, well, talk to us about what are you thinking? You know, um, you know what, what's your thoughts here? What they respond with are attacks. Have you also been deceived? They don't ask. They don't question. They jump to a conclusion. They've already determined their way of thinking is right, and nothing anybody else is going to say or do is going to change their mind. And so they say, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Do you hear the arrogance there? Do you hear the contempt that they have for the very people that they are supposed to be leading? They don't say these people are um, naive, they say they're occur- they don't know the law like we do. So that just puts them way down on the, the bottom rungs of God's values. So I'm gonna we're gonna dive into now, we're gonna look at three marks of people who are arrogant, immature, controlling, narcissistic. 
because that is exactly what we see in the religious leaders here. They were narcissistic, they were arrogant, they were immature, and they were controlling. So here's the first mark. They measure right and wrong against their existing internal beliefs, not an external source. It is incredibly dangerous for a person, an organization, to validate what is true, good, and right by what a leader says rather than by what God says. I don't even care if it's a matter that that person is claiming to speak for God. The religious leaders did that during Jesus' time. You know, in another part in the New Testament, the Bereans were called noble. Why? Because when the apostles came and taught them about Christ, the Bereans searched the scriptures for themselves to see if what the apostles taught aligned with the scriptures or not. They didn't just automatically dismiss the apostles, and they also didn't just automatically believe them. They took it to the external source, the word of God, to validate, does this align with the word of God or not? They didn't run from what the apostles were teaching. They weren't irritated by it. Rather, they examined it. People of maturity don't get irritated and upset when they are challenged or questioned, when their beliefs are held up for examination, because they're more committed to growth and maturity than to just having their beliefs validated. People of maturity don't equate being questioned with being dis, with being uh, with you being disloyal or uncaring or hateful or stirring up strife or anything else. So that is one of the differences between people who are narcissistic, arrogant, immature, or controlling, and a person of maturity. A second mark is that. Arrogant, controlling, manipulative, immature, narcissistic people always end up eventually contradicting themselves. So the the religious leaders here, they have just referenced the law. And Nicodemus, who's one of them, points out something in their law that says the law required them to give a person a hearing to examine their words and deeds before passing judgment. And so when Nicodemus points out this part of the law to them, they don't respond by going, you're right, Nickel boy. Thank you for sharing that. That's great for us to, to remember. Yep, you're right. We, we need to backtrack and we need to redirect. No, no, no. What they do is they resort to a straw man argument. And just for good measure, they add a personal insult to him. They say, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee, which was not true. There's nothing in the scriptures that said no prophet will ever under any condition come out of Galilee. But again, we've also already established that they were, they were being willfully ignorant of where Jesus actually came from. They were well aware that it was very possible that he could have been born in Bethlehem, but just came from Galilee during his, his adult life. They did not want to do the work to actually have their beliefs examined. So a third mark 
of narcissistic, arrogant, manipulative, controlling, or immature people is they result to insults and diversions when they are confronted with their contradictions. Rather than looking and going, oh, wow, yeah, we're contradicting ourselves, or oh, I see what you're saying. No, they're going to just divert to an entirely another topic. And for good measure, they're likely to start attacking or insulting you. The Jewish leaders were claiming that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah or Christ because his origin story didn't align with the scriptures, but this was false. So one minute they're claiming the law as the basis for their beliefs, but the next moment they're ignoring the law. Cherry-picking scriptures is evidence of a person wanting to justify themselves rather than desiring to be justified by God. We have to be careful when studying these verses to not distance ourselves from these unsavory characters like the Jewish leaders and just automatically associate ourselves with those who are favorable. I mean, yeah, I do not want to see myself as being one of those Jewish leaders who were arrogant, narcissistic, controlling, immature. But if I don't want to be that person, I have to, in fact, recognize the capacity to be that person and to do the opposite of what they did. I have to be willing to examine my beliefs and not just according to measure them by myself. That's not examination. That's just self-validation. Instead, what I want to do is to come to God with humility and say, where in my life might I be like one of these leaders? Where might I be making assumptions and holding on to beliefs rather than having the openness to have those examined? Where might I be contradicting myself? And also I want to say, where could I be like one of the listeners in the crowd who were too lazy to dive in and to see if their beliefs about Jesus' origin, which then would validate whether or not he could or couldn't be the Messiah, might be in error. Recognizing maturity is a process. It's not a destination. So maturity is not this this place that we come to and then we're there and then we spend the rest of our lives there. Rather, it is a process. And what that process requires is intentionally pursuing growth. I think that's the core work of discipleship. It is intentionally pursuing growth and it is the it is being diligent about the work and it is work it is hard work of being transformed and how are we transformed we are transformed as our mind which includes our thoughts our beliefs our ideas are made new not just always reinforced curiosity that is a component of humility is a powerful antidote to narcissism. Get curious about your beliefs, whether they're about yourself, about someone else, about God, because when you actually get really, truly curious, asking legitimate questions, then that, when it's a part of humility, is the very thing that will lead you to truth and keep you from being 
one of those narcissistic, arrogant, controlling, manipulative individuals, what we might call today a, quote, toxic person. Well, that's going to wrap up our study in the uh, uh, chapter 7 in the Gospel of John. And I just want to encourage you, if you find this content valuable, would you just take 60 seconds and just type out a short review? You don't need to write an article or a blog post, although you can, you can do that. Um, hopefully, only if that's positive. Thank you very much. But if you just take 60 seconds and leave a, a rating and, and a review, then I just want you to know I appreciate that feedback. And doing that also helps others to know that this content is worth their time. All right, my friend, we're going to wrap up for today. And I want you to remember this because it is absolutely true. And yes, you can check this against the scriptures to validate that for yourself. You have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Therefore, I ask you, I implore you, I encourage you, and I challenge you to commit to these three things. Think deeply, live intentionally, and engage fully in God's grand story. All right, see you next time. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.